Wisdom, the gift of God. Intentionally titled the gift of God because without wisdom being given to us, we cannot have true wisdom. There is a way that seems right unto man, but in the end, it leads to death. Worldly wisdom will only get you so far, and worldly wisdom minus God is the path to destruction. Wide is the path, and broad is the path that leads to destruction. Many travel on that road. And friends, Jesus told us the way to life, true life, life abundant is very narrow and few there be that find that life. That life is rooted in the wisdom of God anchored in the person and work of Jesus. And in our continued search for wisdom, we are going to try to answer three major questions again this week. Last week, we tried to answer three questions, and I think we, we laid a good solid foundation for wisdom. What is it? How do we get it? And who is it? This week, we're going to try to ask three more questions. What is the fear of the Lord? <laughs> what does the fear of the Lord do? And how do we get it? Those three questions. Let's start with some definitions. So two more definitions. What we're going to do is every week you're going to have an ever-expanding understanding of what wisdom is. Anyone ever use spray foam, like great stuff? You kind of spray it in a crack, and it, it just goes, and it keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. It fills different cracks in for different jobs. Maybe you got a crack in your basement, and the mice keep coming in, and you want to you don't want to mix up cement, and so what you do, you get the great stuff. It's got the little hose, and you shake it up, and you spray it, and all of a sudden, it just goes, and it, it marshmallows out. And when it dries, it seals all these cracks. Well, in the same way, that the, the wisdom of God and the fear of God is like that expanding foam. It just it unfolds and expands. It's very dense and dynamic, and nuanced. And so one or two or three or ten definitions never does it. So here's two more. Wisdom, this is the Oxford Dictionary uh, definition. Wisdom is the capacity of judging rightly in matters relating to life and conduct. Soundness of judgment in the choice of means and ends. Sometimes, less strictly, it means sound sense. It means you have a sound sense about you. You're a sensible person. And we would be amiss if we didn't visit one of the wise sages of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says wisdom is this. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. The right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal, and all are the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool, Spurgeon says. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. That's a good definition right there. Spurgeon says, wisdom is the right use of knowledge, and it's knowing how to use the knowledge you have. That's wisdom. Illustration. You could be a financial wizard when it comes to stocks and bonds and mutual funds, and you could study them every day and watch the graphs and the fallings in the charts. You could be a day trader wizard, and you never bought a stock in your life. You don't have one mutual fund, and you've never invested a dollar. All that knowledge is for nothing. And we can be like that 
in the ways of God and the things of God and the most mattering truths. We can have a fast understanding and be able to speak for hours about the things of God, yet we never put any of it to use. And Spurgeon says, that's not wisdom. Knowledge puffs up, Paul says. And just having a bunch of facts and information so maybe you can look good or look sweet or be able to hold a conversation. No, wisdom is the putting to use, good use of the knowledge you have, okay? So let's, let's talk about that kind of wisdom tonight. The right use of knowledge or knowing how to use the knowledge we have. The book of Proverbs encourages us to pursue wisdom as one of our highest endeavors, So we have a lot of ambitions in life, a lot of things we'd like to accomplish, a lot of things we'd like to do, a lot of things we put our money towards and our efforts towards and our devotion to. But Proverbs makes a very high case for you need to get wisdom, and that should be one of your top five priorities. If not, maybe number two, under knowing God and loving him and loving neighbor as yourself. So maybe number three. When I was a boy... I was obsessed with precious stones. Um, I I would dig for them. I collected them. I used to go to flea markets and and buy them. I used to buy crystals. I used to buy all these rare gems. Uh, I always wanted to collect a chunk of gold, but instead I collected a bunch of false gold, fox gold. Uh, But this I have on my shelf. That is literally my stone. If you came to my house, you would see it on my shelf right above my desk where my computer is. And that is an amethyst stone. Anyone ever encounter amethyst? Anyone born in February? It's your birthstone. So these rocks are hollow. And from the outside looking in, they just look like a brown kind of like dirty rock. But when they're cracked open, this beautiful purpled colored, shiny, brilliant in the light as you turn it, beauty appears. They're used for jewelry. They're used for all kinds of um, decorations and art. Now, somehow I've preserved this because I, I have come down into my basement and seen my daughter with a hammer and that right next to it. And I'm like, stop, don't do that. <laughs> she wanted to break it up into more pieces so that maybe she could spread the love around a little bit. I have no idea, but I caught her before she broke into that thing. And, you know, you can, these are mainly mined in Brazil. Uh, That's where the bulk of amethyst comes from. You can find them literally like this big. They're huge amethyst stones. And the reason I brought this into our discussion about wisdom is this. Proverbs 3, 13 to 15 says this. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. That word blessed is an Old Testament word that literally means happy or joyful. Joyful. Happy or joyful is who? Is the one who finds wisdom. As if you were looking in the ground, searching, and you stumbled upon it and found it. And the one who gets, you possess it, understanding. So, you want to be happy? Of course you do. It's what most of our efforts and energy are put towards. We avoid things that we think won't make us happy. We pursue things that we think will make us happy. Here's the Bible, God's truth, anchored in the creator himself. And he's saying, you want to be happy? This is the one that's happy. The one who finds wisdom, meaning it's outside of yourself. You don't naturally have it. You don't get it from pondering deep within yourself. No, you you find it by looking and searching. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, personified as a woman, is better 
than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing I desire can compare with her. That's what it says. Now I checked. What's the spot price of gold as of today, right now? It is $1,348.10 an ounce, an ounce, 28 ounces in a pound. I'm sorry, 28 grams in an ounce. (laughs) I know that for a reason. Think about it, okay? Now imagine a pound, a pound, 16 ounces in a pound, okay? How much is a pound of gold worth? If one ounce is $1,348, who's the math calculator in the room? Come on, Alexa. (laughs) A lot. It's a lot. Okay? It is a lot. How How about the silver price? Put your calculator away. It's the illustration. Just getting you to think. How much is the spot price of silver worth? The spot price of silver per ounce is $16.75 an ounce, a much less precious metal. Okay? But, but think about that. Better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. You kidding me? Like there's whole stores existing in Pittsburgh that have to do with you coming in and trading in gold and broken jewelry and busted earrings and, and getting back cash with the name treasure in the business name. Okay? And, and listen, here is for you right now a gift of treasure. The Proverbs is saying, you want gains? Go after wisdom. It pays better than silver. It pays better than gold. And for most of us, we're like, eh, it's not worth a chunk of gold. It's not worth precious jewels. It's not really worth as much as a nice chunky silver necklace. But see, the question is, will we believe what the word says, that it is precious, and to those who have it, they know, or they've tasted it, they know that this is more valuable than the gold, than the silver, than the gains I would get from pursuing these things. That our God would give us, by his spirit, the gift to believe this. Oh, please, God, help. Now, this is a very interesting place. This is in Arkansas. It's a a state park, and it's called Crater of Diamonds State Park. Anyone ever heard of this place? Any hands? One, two people in the whole place. Okay. So this is where the Uncle Sam diamond was found, the largest diamond ever found in the United States at 40.23 carats. I mean, that's a huge diamond. Most ladies' rings have about one carat, maybe two if they're big. Okay. 40.23 carats. Now, here's what's fresh about this place. You ready? This place is free to the public to go into, and whatever you find, you keep. And the diamonds rise to the surface of the dirt just by it raining. You can go here and find diamonds, and you keep them. (laughs) So, yeah, it's real, okay? You can plan a vacation around this and go treasure hunting for real. Now, 
just, just to, I just wanted to see. So like, when were the last diamonds found? Well, guess what? Two of them were found on 4-3 on Friday. Two of them were found on 4-12 last Thursday. 4-10 last Tuesday, two of them were found. And on 4-9 on Monday, two of them were found. So this place is churning up diamonds like crazy. Now, not all of them are, you know, 80 carat diamonds. Some of them are like 0.10 little diamonds. But still, a diamond's a diamond. Okay? And, and here's the deal. Watch this. This is what it looks like. If you were to go there, you would see people just out in the field, searching, digging, uncovering, looking for diamonds. Look, this is, this is PJ and his wife and his son. <laughs> it's not really. There's, there's PJ's wife looking for diamonds. This is what it would look like if you were to go there. You would get a sifter and you would sift or you would go to the water and sift. This is a brother who found one and crater of diamond field portal step off the path step onto the crater it's it's a old volcanic crater and it brings up diamonds it's amazing you can go in and have them certified and checked you get a little court a card and you get to keep it and you can sell it if you'd like now there are people who spend their lives you do realize this doing this kind of stuff for a living there are treasure hunters that this is what they do full time. They go off the coast of Florida and they go and they find sunken ships and they literally scuba every single day and they look for lost coins and they look for lost treasure and artifacts. There are people all over the Middle East and in Mexico looking for treasure. Why? Because there's value in the treasure so much so that they will spend their entire lives hunting for these treasures. And friends, do you realize that the Bible says that treasure is wisdom? Listen to this. Proverbs 2, 4 to 5. If you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. That's to God. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And after you understand the fear of the Lord you will find the knowledge of God. You see, the Proverbs says, you like treasure, I like treasure, let's go after the real treasure, the wisdom and knowledge of God. And, and, and it struck me as I was thinking about treasure hunting, I think it would be so cool to do, because I used to dig all the time. I used to be, just be digging for rocks, looking for cool rocks. Was, my childhood was spent doing that. I always thought I'd find a dinosaur if I dug deep enough. Um, we can mine literally for the wisdom of God. That is available to you and I. Does that sound intriguing at all? Or is it like, eh? Any of us who chooses to put forth the energy and effort can find the wisdom of God. It is promised to us. Now, let's seek to answer the first question. What is the fear of the Lord? And what does the fear of the Lord do? So we're going to try to actually try to answer both questions in one. What is the fear of the Lord? And what does the fear of the Lord do? Or what is it? What does it do? Now, this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is jam-packed with meaning. So you guys know I do upholstery work. We get large boxes full of foam. And the foam is vacuum-packed sealed into these 
boxes, amazingly, that, you know, these super dense boxes, you know, like, this is full of foam and you drop it down and it's bouncy like a super ball. And then you pull out this vacuum packed sealed blue and you cut it with a razor and all of a sudden it just goes and it just starts to amazingly unravel and unfold bigger than a king bed. It's amazing. Just they can get that big thing into such a small little area. Now, the fear of the Lord is also like that. Once you start unraveling it, it just grows and gets bigger and it expands kind of like the, the great stuff ceiling foam. This is such a nuanced phrase in the Bible that it would be impossible to give you a single definition for it. It's many things. It's much things. And so this is why we're dedicating a whole sermon. And even as we spend the next 25 minutes here thinking about the fear of the Lord, we're not going to uncover it. Okay? We're not going to uncover it. But we will try to understand what is the fear of the Lord and what does the fear of the Lord do. So Easton's Bible Dictionary would say this. The fear of the Lord is a fear conjoined, which means combined. So it's a fear combined with love and hope. It is therefore not a slavish dread, but rather a phileo reverence. Phileo means son or daughter. So it's the reverence you would have if you really respected your mother or father. Times that by a billion because God is our father. So it is a fear of him in a sense of deep, deep respect and the knowledge that he could literally stop your lungs, stop your heart, and call you to account any second he wanted. He's totally just and right to do that. That's God. And so as you haven't been thinking for the last about 15 minutes as I've been speaking, your heart's been pumping automatically. Your brain's been firing without you thinking about it or making it happen. And who's doing that? It's God. He is keeping you alive this very moment. And so that should, in a sense, make us a little afraid of a being that powerful. Yet, he is a being who says in his word that he loves us, so much so that he came and suffered in our place, lived perfectly in our place, and says that when we do leave this earth, he will call us to himself forevermore. It's the, it's the feeling you get. I don't know if this has happened to you. It's happened to me many, many times, probably because of the friends I hang out with. Someone hands you a loaded gun. And, and you're like, oh, and you're, you're like, is the safety on? Is there bullets in this thing? You know, and, and the idea is you understand what you're holding and what it could do if something goes wrong. I could die or you could die. That's why we want trained people carrying around guns and not novices, right? But the idea is when you come across, or here's another illustration. We have a fire pit in my bottom yard and we like to fill it up with logs and get the fire roaring. But my daughter is so rowdy that she likes to run very close to the glowing hot metal and the flame. And so every time she comes near, I'm like, my adrenaline is on about 10. So what I wanted was a nice relaxing fire with some golden marshmallows, maybe a Nathan's hot dog on a stick. And instead, I'm like level 10 stress. Like, get back, stand back. I'm going to put you in the corner. Stop it. That's kind of the fire pit experience that I have. But the reason is because I have a legit credible fear of the fire. Because what happens when she trips on the edge of the cement and goes face first into it? Children's hospital happens, hopefully. We can get there in enough time. See, we have a fear of things God created 
But you think about it. He's the creator. They point to him. You go, some of you will not go into the ocean. I have a funny story. I, I had a friend who would not go into the ocean. We were at uh, Clearwater Beach. And I said, you see way out there? See that pole? There's a sign on the pole facing out in the ocean. And I said to him, let's swim way out there and see what that sign says. No, man, no, man, I'm not. Come on, man. Man up. Let's go. Let's swim out there. No, 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 no. I don't go in the ocean. Come on, we're going. I finally convinced them, and we start out. And we're swimming. He's on a raft, which is dumb because, you know, sharks think you're a pelican or a, a, a walrus or something. I don't know. Some of you ocean people are like, a walrus? Really? Come on, man. A seal. All right. A seal. So he's looking like a seal, and I'm just swimming out there, and this is what he starts doing to me. He starts going, man, if we die. He's like, man, I love you, man. I just want you to know. I'm like, bro, shut up. We're not going to die. Shut up. He's freaking me out. So we get all the way out there, and sure enough, it was a sign, which I thought it would be, of do not go past here shallow water for boats. So we start tearing our way back. And, and, and you know, we're, we're moving fast. And another couple is going out to where we just were. And, and you know, my friend's like, they're going to die. They're going to die. So, so we get back to about the shore, and I turn around, and they're out where we just were in this deep of water. It was a sandbar. And I'm like, we're terrified. The water was about two feet deep. But yet we're swimming so hard and so vigorously, we could have, you know. But here's the idea. Some of you are like that. You won't even go into the ocean for fear of what's going to get you. And God's going, I put all that stuff in there. And you won't even go in. And yet some of us don't fear God in the least. And there's a massive contradiction there. You realize that, right? The fear of God is not that we would cower and hide from him, though that would be appropriate. But as his children, we recognize who he is and we submit ourselves joyfully to him. It's recognizing who he is and submitting ourselves joyfully to him. Let's very quickly, from the Bible itself, look at 10 aspects, 10 aspects of the fear of the Lord. We're going to try to answer these questions. What is it? What does it do? Quickly. Number one, Job 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? It's wisdom. You want wisdom? You need the fear of the Lord. And two, this is what it does, turn away from evil is understanding. So now we know not only what it is from this Job 28 passage, but we know what it does. It is wisdom, but it's also for you to turn away from evil. But here's the problem. We're tempted and attracted towards evil. And the evil one is ever luring us. Take a bite. Stolen water is sweet. And and we hear the hiss constantly. And it is attractive to us. It's not play like it's not attractive. If it wasn't attractive, it wouldn't be a temptation. I've told you this before. I'm never, ever tempted to eat the poop that covers my yard from the dogs. I don't walk past it like, oh, God, no, no. No, I'm like, I don't want to clean that up. It's been all winter, and it's been collecting and collecting and collecting. I have enough to sell fertilizer at this point. 
You see, because it's attractive and because it looks good to us, we go after it. Meanwhile, the fear of the Lord is to turn away from evil, and then you will have understanding. And we need God's help, friends. In the moment of temptation, the very moment, that's when you need to turn to the fear of the Lord and say, oh God, help me in this moment. Now listen, to be tempted is not to sin. Don't give Satan that foothold because Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. So don't let Satan say to you, oh, you've been tempted, you've already sinned, you might as well just give in now. No, to be tempted is one thing, to resist the temptation is a whole other thing. That's called a win. It's called a win. And Jesus won against temptation every single time it showed up at his doorstep. You remember what God said to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. It desires to rule over you, but you must master it. You must resist temptation. This is the fear of the Lord, to turn away from evil. How do we do that? We got to call upon God for help. You with me? How many of you know what it's like to be in the heat of temptation? You could be fighting with your spouse and you want to maybe wreck the drywall or wreck the car. And you call out to God for help. Oh God, help, please. In the moment of temptation, you must turn to the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord according to Job 28, 28? It is wisdom. What does it do? It turns away from evil. That is understanding. Psalm eleven ten. The fear of the Lord is, what is it? The beginning of wisdom. Hmm, just the beginning. All those who practice it, what does it do? It's practiced. They have good understanding. His praise endures forever. That's God's praise. So in this passage, it's it's a little different. The fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. So you've come into the room, you've opened the door, and you've stepped into wisdom's room and all, all that it has to offer you. And then we practice the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, we could go to the last verse. We practice turning away from evil, right? So you practice your craft, whatever your craft is. Maybe some of you are trying to learn an instrument. Maybe some of you are um, trying to learn how to do art or music. You practice your craft. Maybe some of you are builders. Maybe some of you are coders. I mean, we're all into some craft, I hope, not just crafty people with a cricket machine, but craft as in the, the total sense of it, okay? I write, all, I write a lot, and I'm terrible at it, but I'm trying to get better. Like, this is a comma, semicolon, what goes here? Colon, grammar.com, help. Okay? I'm constantly trying to figure out how this thing works, okay? Practice your craft. So what do we do here? We practice turning away from evil, Guess what happens when you practice something? You get good at it. But listen, when you give in time and time and time again, you know what you're doing to your conscience? You're searing it. You know what happens when you sear your conscience? You can do the wrong and it doesn't even affect you at all. You feel nothing. And you can be so hardened by sin and so callous by sin, you become a very dangerous person. Dangerous to yourself and dangerous to other people. And we must resist our own urges toward evil. We must resist the outside urges calling us to do evil. And rather, we must practice turning away from evil. Friends, by God's help. You with me? Okay. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We want wisdom? Yes. What do we do? We fear the Lord. All those who practice it, 
practice the fear of the Lord, practice turning away from evil, they have good understanding. Okay, so we're going to gain understanding. We're going to gain wisdom when we do this. And God's praise endures forever. That's the last verse in the Psalm, Psalm 11. Uh, Number three, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want knowledge? You want understanding? Yes. Start with the fear of the Lord. You don't start there. You don't even have the wisdom that God offers. It's just the beginning. Proverbs 8.13, number four. The fear of the Lord, what is it? It is hatred of evil. Do you hate evil? Or do you hate some evil? Here's what I mean. It's real tempting in the moment to love evil when that image on your phone is calling you again. And you say you hate it, But by participating in it, you show you don't hate it. Get me? What about lying in the moment when it's convenient for you and beneficial? What about manipulating to get what you want or so it doesn't go bad for you? And we could go on and on and on. You see, we say, yeah, I hate evil, but do we? Do we? You do, my man. (laughs) He said, amen. Do you hear that? somebody's awake. That's what I'm talking about. My man. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Listen to this. And then the very next sentence shows, I think, the greatest evil. And according to Lewis, all other sins are mere flea bites in comparison to this one. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So, Pride is a great evil. Let's just call it what it is and let's despise it. Oh God, help us to hate our pride and pride in general. What it does to me, what it does to the people I love. Arrogance, God hates it. It's an evil. And the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Now listen, this one perverted speech gets all of us because the New Testament speaks of coursed, jesting, means rough, joking, I mean, how do you survive in the workforce without rough joking? I mean, how is that even possible? Right? You you guys all work in non-Christian environments like me, right? And you hear awful things. And you're tempted at that moment, do I laugh? Do I, do I say, do I shake my head? Do I say, you're going to burn in hell for that? Like, what do I do? Like, it's so confusing and, and, you feel like an alien and a stranger, don't you? Like you read First Peter and you're like, you are strangers and aliens in the world. And you say, yes, I feel like that all the time. You know that you're a Christian disciple when that feeling comes upon you. And you have much in your company. Okay? Now we need to pray for, for wisdom, winsomeness, tact, and grace and love in those moments. I don't think the best thing to do is throw condemnation and hell and brimstone on people. Right, because when James and John wanted to do that to the Samaritans, Jesus was like, you don't know what kind of spirit you have. They're like, should we call fire down from heaven like Elijah on these people? Some of us would like to do that. If we had that power, we would be very dangerous. God will never, ever, ever make you a Marvel superhero if that's your attitude. Proverbs 9.10, number five. The fear of the Lord, what is it? It's the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So what is the fear of the Lord in 9.10? It's the beginning of wisdom and it's the knowledge of the Holy One. 
So that means the knowledge of God. Now, some of us, we're like, oh, theology, that's impractical. That's just high tower stuff. That's for, you know, professors and authors. Listen, guys, anytime you open your mouth and speak about God, you are doing theology. And you're either a bad theologian or you're a good one, but you are a theologian. Shake your head. Yes, I am a theologian. So when you open your mouth and speak about God in a way that's not true, just know you're doing bad theology. Therefore, theology is very practical because this verse says that the knowledge of the Holy One is part of wisdom. It's insight. So for you to get to know about God enables you to get to know God. That's the goal. Theology for theology's sake is worthless. Theology for the sake of puffing yourself up and making yourself look good in front of others is worthless and sinful. But theology for the sake of knowing God is valuable and a worthy effort, friends. Time taken in the Lord's presence in his word with thick books of theology that point to God, Jesus, and the gospel. Friends, that's a worthy time spent. Now, we don't spend all our time there, You probably have a a, a problem if you're spending all your time with books. You're like, I hate people, but I love my books and I love my God. That's a problem, okay? Because John tells us in 1 John that your love for God will be shown by your love for people. And so you can say all day, I love God, yet if you hate people, you hate God. Just admit it and turn from that sin. If you hate people, you also hate God no matter what you say. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear, number six, the fear of the Lord, what does it do? It prolongs life. I love that. It's like spinach. It's like kale. It's like veggie burgers. It prolongs life. But the years of the wicked will be short. Will be short. Now, this isn't a promise. This is a general truth. Many of the Proverbs are like that. We'll get into this in later Uh, messages, but this is not a promise. There are people who fear the Lord, love the Lord, and and walk in his ways, and yet they live very short lives. They live very short lives. Yet this is a general truth that when you walk in God's ways and you fear the Lord properly, he prolongs your life, and you know what else he does? He gives you the ability to not make choices to put yourself in harm's way, to put yourself in danger. We're not talking about missionaries that go into dangerous regions of the globe. We're talking about general fearing the Lord, making good decisions. But the years of the wicked will be short. That is almost a promise, but not quite. We know a lot of wicked people who live long lives, but they will pay for all their sin. But friends, the idea is when you fear the Lord, it helps you to make good decisions that keep you in a, in a place that prolongs life. Number seven, Proverbs 14, 26 to 27. In the fear of the Lord... One has, this is what you get from it, this is what it does, strong confidence. Okay, strong confidence. This is huge because many of us walk around without any confidence. Okay, now we're not talking about arrogance. We're not talking about pride. We're not talking about self-sufficiency here. What we're talking about is a confidence that's rooted in God and your identity is so secure in God that you have confidence about who you are in Him. And that enables you to go out into life in such a way where it's like you have a shield around you. 
You know, you see the Star Wars movies and the, the dark side's constantly throwing these bombs on these ships and they have this force field around them. And as long as the shields stay up, nothing can penetrate the shields. In one sense, people insult you and you're like, doesn't affect me. People seek to offend you, doesn't affect me. Why? Because you know God's opinion of you matters so much more than theirs. What is their flea bite of an opinion to God's planet of an opinion of you in Christ? And when your identity is so secure in him, friends, you become a confident person that others actually want to be around. Because you're not trying to suck life off of everybody else. You get your life from God, and then it can come out from you and bless others. But if you're always fishing for compliments and always needing people and always... See, if you get your needs met from God and your confidence is in your identity in Him, friends, you will be able to bless others. It's called the fear of the Lord. Let's keep going. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And his children, that's... I think that's the Lord's children, will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is, here's what it is again, a fountain of life. I love that picture. You know, you, you, you're, you're in school when you're a kid, you're so thirsty, and, and the water fountain's right there. Or you're out in the park playing, and the water fountain's there when you just can't breathe anymore. I need a drink. A fountain of what? Life. Not just water, but life. That one may, this is what it does, turn away from the snares of death. Turn away from the snares of death. Those are traps. So what is it? It's strong confidence. It's a refuge for children. And it's a fountain of life. This is all beautiful and positive. And what does it do? It gives you the ability to turn away from the snares of death. Death is trying to ensnare you. The wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Number eight, Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little... Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure, treasure and trouble with it. Okay, this is, this is huge for you. So if you have a little and you're tempted to look at everyone else and be jealous of their a lot, friends, you don't fear the Lord. You have a fear of the Lord problem. If you have a jealousy problem, if you have an envy problem, if you have a coveting problem, you have a fear of the Lord problem. You realize that? So your issue with looking at other people and feeling worse about you and feeling bad about them and then that turning into more ugly can be helped by you practicing the fear of the Lord. And, and let me ask you this. How, how does jealousy feel? How does envy feel? How does coveting feel? Does it feel like motivation for life and living? Does it? Or does it feel oppressive and small and narrow and squishing and heavy and anxiety producing. You see, friends, sin truly does cause death. All those things I just mentioned are small deaths. Death to joy, death to contentment, death to love, death to fulfillment and fullness. And, And here, this proverb is saying to you, It's better to have a little, just a little bit of whatever, but yet have the fear of the Lord than to have a lot of treasure, a treasure and have trouble with it. That means to not have the fear of the Lord. And I think Biggie Smalls was right that more money does equal more problems pretty often. Yeah, no, yeah. 
It does. Because more responsibility comes upon you. And often with responsibility comes trouble with it. Okay, so fear of the Lord, it's great. It's healthy. It helps you to not covet and envy and be jealous. Number nine, Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is, what is it? It's instruction in wisdom. The fear of the Lord instructs you in wisdom. And number 10, Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. This is what it does. So there's a path. You walk along this path of the fear of the Lord. What's at the end of it? Life, life, fountain of life, leading to life. And whoever has it, the fear of the Lord, rests satisfied. I love it. Man, I want satisfaction no matter where I'm at in life. If I have a health problem, I want to be satisfied. If I have a problem in a relationship, I still want to be satisfied. If I have a, man, I'm not thinking clearly today. Anyone ever have those days? You wake up and you're like, man, the wheel just keeps spinning like the loading wheel on your phone. You're like, dang, this is going to be a loading day, isn't it? Yes, it is. But you know what? I'm satisfied. You have a little in your bank account, or maybe you have a negative in your bank account. You know what? I'm still satisfied. Why? Because I have the fear of the Lord. It leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. How many of you would categorize your life as restful? Restful. No, most of us would categorize our life as stressful. You see all the benefits being given here. The fear of the Lord produces a restful life, not a stressful life. Fear of the Lord. He will not be visited by harm. Again, that that is not a promise. That is a generalization that those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways will have less harm come into their ways. Okay, let us continue and we're almost done. I'm going to skip a lot here. Let's quickly talk about how do we get it and we're done. How do we get it and we're done. The best way to get wisdom is to fear the Lord. And the best way to attain the fear of the Lord is to start by saying, I have failed epically in fearing the Lord. That's the starting place. None of us have feared God the way we should. Not even for a day. We have epically failed. And all the benefits that we see here, all of the admonitions that we see here, all of what's called the imperatives that we see here, failure, failure, failure. And so we're hopeless, right? No, we're not hopeless. Why? Because there was one, friends, who did fear the Lord perfectly. God himself, in the person of Jesus, feared the Lord for you and for me. And friends, we can start there. Let's not start, man, I'm terrible and I'm failing. And I'm, Yes, true. But you know what? There was one who didn't fail. There was one who did fear rightly. And then the beauty of the gospel is Jesus gives that fearing the Lord to you and I as if we feared him all of our days. All of our days. And he then on the cross takes our punishment as he did not fear the Lord. And spend his days pursuing evil and folly and destruction and death. It's the great substitute. So that's where we have to start. And friends, if you have not started there, then you're not on the path to wisdom. You're not on the path to the fear of the Lord. You must start 
by having the fear of the Lord fulfilled for you before you can actually get on that journey. And that's relief to us who know that we're failures. Any failures in the room? I got two hands up. Yeah, all of us, if we're honest. We've all failed at this. And so part of you should have longed for what we read here, but then part of you should have been like, man, I am terrible. Part of this should have been like a brick in a backpack for you. But the beauty of the gospel is, is that Jesus fulfilled the fear of the Lord for us. And we start there. And then with the help of God himself, with the help of God himself, the Holy Spirit, he enables us to rightly fear the Lord, which then produces the wisdom and the understanding and the walking rightly and the turning from evil and the satisfaction and the life and on and on. So friends, will you tonight renew your confidence in Christ as your starting place? We will do that now by taking communion and saying, you know, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for fearing the Lord in my place. I have failed, and you have stepped into my failure and taken my punishment on the cross. You have given your fearing the Lord as a gift to me that in a substitutionary way, I have feared the Lord in Christ. And then, friends, will you, as we sing, your mercy, mercy is not getting what we deserve. And as we sing, it's your mercy. We want to say, we deserve the death. We deserve the punishment. We deserve the cross. Yet in your mercy, you have not given us what we deserve. And instead, you have given us your grace, which is getting what we don't deserve. We get mercy and we get grace as Christians in Christ. And then we can rejoice because we have the third person of the Trinity living in us, enabling us and helping us to move forward in the fear of the Lord. This is something we can pray for and should pray for. God, help me to fear you rightly. Help me to start at wisdom's door with the fear of the Lord. Help me to give you the weight that you properly deserve. Help me not to cower in fear as if you're an angry judge, but rather to rejoice that you're a loving father and yet still hold you with the weight that you deserve. The God who created the billions of galaxies, each themselves containing billions of stars bigger than our sun. That God has made a way to himself through his son, Jesus. Let's celebrate communion together and let's ask God for help by his spirit to fear him.